Ladies and gents, welcome back to another episode of Fez Talks. I, of course, am your host, Fez. Today, the women of Star Trek. Well, today on the podcast, I have a new friend that I made on Twitter, thanks to one of my Star Trek friends, and her name is Stevie. Stevie, say hello to whoever may or may not be listening to the podcast out in the Twitter sphere and the podcast sphere. Hi, Mom. <laughs> um, so, what I usually do is I, I ask any people, because I've only interviewed people for Star Trek so far. What? It, how did you come into Star Trek? It, it's it's kind of um, to to quote a song. It's been a long road getting from there to here. Um, <laughs> I think my boyfriend's in the next room going no, but um, it, it, it's um, it's my father was and is is an original Trek fan. He was, he watched the original series as it came out. Um, big fan of Leonard Nimoy and Spock. I, according to my mother, he and his uh, friends did uh, fan movies where my father played Spock. So it's, it's very much in my blood. Unfortunately, I don't really know what happened. Uh, I got more into Star Wars at first than Star Trek. So there was a little bit of a internal rivalry, but I remember growing up um, with Next Gen on, and I remember, of course, you know, LeVar Burton from Reading Rainbow. That that was who I knew him from, and I just remember watching the screen and going, why is the guy from Reading Rainbow on Star Trek? You know, that's I, I think that's my first memory, and also thinking, oh, which one's Dr. Spock? You know, because I'm like, I got that confused. Um, but yeah, I, I went through a period where I was the, you know, the only girl at the, at the boys table and, uh, in middle school. And, um, we were all, all Star Wars fans, all of us, um, two of them were Trekkies and we would, you know, pretend to use the force to, you know, push them out the, push them out the window, which was a first story window and the windows, we didn't actually hurt anyone. We really didn't. Um, and then years later, um, I, I spoke with one of my friends with one of those with one of my guy friends and I said you know it was so cool that you had me in that group and he's like well you were the only girl who would talk to us and I said I'm you know I'm surprised you know how much fun we had you know Star Wars and versus Star Trek and he's like no we actually like Star Trek too and I'm like you're just now telling me this like 10 years you know 15 20, you know after, why are you t- so now I felt really bad, but I got into it after the 2009 movie. Um, then I went back and I watched all of the original series and I just fell in love with it. I just completely fell in love with it. And of course I saw the the Futurama episode where they had the majority of the cast from the original series, which was this still is one of my absolute favorite episodes. 
and it snowballed into me going to me going to Star Trek Las Vegas last year and doing Star Trek art and getting involved with this wonderful community. Fascinating. You've told me how you got into Star Trek. What's your favorite Star Trek series? And if you have a star, favorite Star Trek character, who is he, she, or they, or it? <laughs> My favorite series, um, it still comes back to the original series. It still comes back because that's the one that I have all the um, the fond memories of. I remember... I think this was back when Nef before Netflix was streaming, I was renting the DVDs and I was watching them on my PS, my PS3, I believe. Well, anyway, I was, that's how I was watching them. And I was home from college at the time. I was, I had graduated. Um, although these days, my, my friend V, uh, she got me into Voyager and oh, Voyager's my, it's a very close second for, um, to the original series. Um, favorite character off the top. I mean, immediately I'll have to say Dr. Bashir is my favorite. Um, I have a very, I have, a, I hold a very special place in my heart for him. As many people know from Twitter, I do not shut up about him or, or his brilliant, brilliant actor, Alexander Siddig. And I'm going to stop fangirling there. <laughs> um, I also, I, I love Jedzia Dax. I love Captain Janeway, Seven of Nine, um, the Doctor from Voyager, um, D. Kelly as um, McCoy. He, he's my favorite Doctor. He's my favorite Doctor. Um, and I, I still, to this day, identify with Chekhov. That's, he, he, he is me and I am him. So I'm going to ask you a question before we get into our Women of Star Trek discussion. How do you feel about Dr. Pulaski? Because people hate her. And I kind of ha I have a theory as to why. But I want to hear your thoughts before I tell you what my theory is. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, I just, um, I, I'm still working my way through, through Next Gen and DS9. I'm still working, you know, going through them, you know, slowly. Um, but I just got to Pulaski's episodes. And the first episode, she was there with Data. And she really, she, she pissed me off the way she was talking to him. Because I kind of came into this, you know, with, with this Pulaski prejudice, as you will, beforehand. But as, as I watched more of her and I kind of looked around that, I started to see, wow, she's got a lot of similarities to McCoy here, kind of from what I can see. And again, I'm just starting season two, so please bear with me. Um, she, she reminded me a lot of Dr. McCoy, kind of no nonsense. You know, we're here to get, we're here to get shit done. Uh, we're here, we're here on a mission. I'm here to help out. Um, I, I, and, and I, I mean, just from comparing season one Crusher, which I know season one of TNG is pretty universally panned. And as my boyfriend likes to put it uh, with Riker, no beard, no good, as he likes to put it. And then comparing that to Pulaski, I find personally Pulaski connects with me more just because 
there's such a similarity between her and McCoy. It's also why I really enjoy the EMH on Voyagers because Picardo, he made that character his own and he, he, he's some, he channeled enough of D Kelly's energy while simultaneously in, in, in embodying his own energy into it. And, um, and then just giving like this haughtiness. Like I always say, like when I draw the EMH, I can't nail that, that haughtiness, that, that holier than thou attitude that EMH has. And I'm, um, so going back to your original question, I also, I mean, kind of why people may not like Pulaski is, you know, I, I'm, I, this is sheer conjecture, but it might be, you know, that, you know, she's, she's a little cold, you know, and, and women are supposed to be nurturing and quiet and this and that. And Pulaski's just like, screw you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here to do my job. And I, I'm not, that's no slight to Crusher or no slight to Gates McFadden whatsoever. But that's kind of my theory. <laughs> so that may very well be, but here's my take. Okay. You're right that she shares a lot of qualities with McCoy, and we also equate Spock with Data. Yes. And the thing that made that relationship so good is that McCoy may have chided Spock, but Spock gave as good as he got. Right. And in this instance, Pulaski is, is giving it to Data. Data can't reciprocate. It's like an adult kicking a little kid, for lack of a yes. better. That's why, every, at least in my opinion, that's why people hate her. Even though she yeah. gets moderately to slightly better as the second season goes on. But she also didn't, as a character, mesh very well with the rest of the next gen cast for the exception of Michael Dorn. And I agree with your, your, your boyfriend, more beard, more better. Yes. Yes. But that, that I actually, it's funny you say that theory because I picked up on that almost immediately. And that when data and Pulaski initially meet and she's mispronounces his name and she's like, what's the big deal? Um, that really felt like they were trying to recreate the, um, the doctor versus the logical, you know, the logical being, you know, versus, you know, the, I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer, you know, sort of guy. But Data's character didn't quite allow for that to happen. Just like you were saying, Data has a, Data has a complete different mindset than Spock does. And it kind of goes to what I was talking about yesterday. Um, I was I gave a panel on um, information literacy and info seeking behavior, and I was talking about how you'll always have human librarians, and Data is a really good example of that. Um, in the earlier seasons, he had to constantly clarify, "What do you mean by this term? What do you mean by that phrase? I don't understand. You said this, but then you did that. I don't understand." So. That I I think that has a lot to do with it as well. Like Pulaski is just being Pulaski. Um, if we want to look into lower decks, you know, you, it's the same the same kind of vibe with Dr. Tana, the same kind of you know, shut up and let me do my job kind of vibe. You know, but there's still a part that cares because I mean, she did 
try with data later, you know, try and smooth it over. But she still had that that prejudice, for lack of a better word, just as McCoy did against Fox. I 100% agree. So are you ready for women of Star Trek? I am always ready for women of Star Trek. Let's go. So now grant you, I asked you because you are a female, unless I'm mistaken, but I'm not. <laughs> um, because I feel like as a guy, I can only give you but so much of a perspective on the women of Star Trek. And as somebody who's a creative, I'm a writer especially when it comes to like Deanna and Beverly and even Tasha when she was there for the 26 episodes that certain female characters are lacking partly because we didn't have female writers on the writing staff or we didn't have men who knew how to write for women. Yep. So I want what you, what, what can you give me from from that perspective, what do you think? Ooh, that I, I agree actually, because you, and I, I'm a writer myself and I'm a creative and it's hard to write or create something from, from a perspective that doesn't make sense to you. So, I mean, for instance, it, I mean, I'm a white woman, so I would not really feel comfortable writing about the experiences of, say, a black man, because I've never lived that experience. I would have to ask, you know, you know, do a lot of interviews if I was doing a black male character, you know, I, for, for a story, writing a story, not portraying one. I would ask, you know, what are some, how, how would you react in a situation like this? Given all of these, um, given, given the structure of this universe, how would you react in this situation? How, how would you comprehend it? Um, how is your background and experiences, you know, going to contribute? How might somebody else react in your situation? And I think uh, that was definitely a problem with um, definitely with definitely with the original series. I mean, that. Wow. Yeah, there's you can tell there weren't a lot. There were no women in that writer's room. You could tell. And you I mean, I love I love Uhura. I love Michelle Nichols. She is a treasure. But you can tell she was chomping at the bit to do more than that. I mean, I love the story where she tried for Spock, you know. She was like, okay, well, this is cool. Yeah, I can be Uhura, but uh, I think I'm going to try being Spock. You know, I, I love that energy. I love that energy. And I ha- I've got to respect Gates McFadden for, for um. She she that was why she wasn't in the second season. She was she was saying she wasn't going to tolerate. I remind me, it's still early, but she wasn't going. She she was sick of something going on uh, on the set, and so in retaliation, they got rid of her. But then the fan, I think the fan response was like, "No, we want her back." So Mm -hmm. I mean, there have been strong women on track, and we've seen cracks of that like uh, like michelle took a sledgehammer to that and she drove a couple 
you know, wax into that. And then um, Gates and Marina and Denise, um, they came through and they put their cracks in the wall. Then came Jedzia, there came Carrie Farrell, the not visitor, uh, Nikki DeBoer, they put more cracks in. And then Janeway and then Kate Mulgrew comes through with a giant freaking wrecking ball and just bangs it right out of the park. But then, it, but then Enterprise happened and poor Hoshi, I just, Hoshi, I love Hoshi so much. She, she got shafted. She and, and Travis got shafted so bad. But they, the, they laid the groundwork for Michael Burnham in Discovery to walk through and go, sup, I'm here, let's do this. I 100% agree with you. And it's funny that it's all you almost like encapsulated my points that I've always mm-hmm. had with people talking about women in Star Trek, because mm-hmm. you know what, as a writer, as, as a guy, as a Hispanic guy, I can't tell you what a white woman would like or be like. And sometimes I think to myself, I don't want to know. Because all the things that, that go in my head, I don't need that for any, anybody else's head. But yeah, but uh, I keep thinking, like, the person I think that suffered the most, specifically in Next Gen, from the type of lines and the type of situation that per- particular character was in is Marina and Deanna. Oh and, my god. And yeah. all the all the things Oof. that all the things that you gave Guinan, you could have given to Deanna and it would have strengthened yep. her character. Whereas, you know, you see Deanna in Nepenthe for Picard. I was sitting there watching her and I was like, I don't remember Marina being this good or having this rich of a character to even play. Where was this? That, that I kind of, I kind of have been picking that up too. And I, cause I remember before I started watching next gen, I was in, um, I was in Detroit for a convention and um, she was on a, and uh, Marina was on a panel with Walter Koenig and something, someone else from Star Trek. I'm so sorry. I forget their name, but my friend and I, we were in the audience and we were listening to her and we were blown away by her, how forthright she was how you know this is the way it is don't settle for this crap she was hysterical she was poignant and my friend and I we looked at each other and we're like oh my god do you think we can get her to adopt us as her as our auntie you know and we we literally we pulled our money together so we could get a photo with her and say we we absolutely adore you. We, we, you know, can you be our auntie? You know, she, she was so kind about it. She was so sweet. And that's, that's why on Twitter, I call uh, Marina space auntie. <laughs> but yeah, when you, when I, I, now that I know who she is as an actress, as a person, and then I look at Troy, I can't stop laughing at the disconnect. I, I mean, it's not out of disrespect for, for Troy and all the respect to Marina, but the, the, they cannot be further, they cannot be more different from each other, in my opinion. It, it's just so hysterical. 
hysterical. And I'm with you. I would have loved, loved to see more of Marina in Troy. And I think you were right. We did get that in, um, in Picard, which was very, very much needed. I will be very disappointed if we don't see Riker and Troy in season two. I'm going to riot. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to riot. Like when I saw them in, in lower decks, like I drummed on my desk. I was banging on my desk. I was shouting. I was cheering. I could not find my cats for a good five minutes after that. Uh, the other person I personally would like to see just because of the history between the two characters is Crusher. I, I love Bev. Yes. I love Bev. I love Bev. And you know, you think about, you know, the supposed future in all good things where she's captain of the pasture and she ta- and she marries Picard. Yeah. I, I, I want to know, where is she? Is she still with us? Is she something? Because, I, I like, we already had our data and, and, and we had those moments. And now we have another brother, but we won't get into that. That's like finding Cybok and Michael being Spock's sister after yeah. we know all that that stuff, which that bothers me, but neither here nor there yeah. in this conversation. But people that I, I'd like to see for Picard, are like Worf, Jordy, we know Guinan's going to be in there somewhere. Yes, I am so excited for that. So excited. Um, and Wesley, I would love to see Wesley. Yes, I want Will Wheaton to come in and like save the day. He's the captain of his ship. He's he's a badass, you know. Hi, Captain Picard. <laughs> Shut up, Wesley. No, but um, and then he makes like some some comment, you know, like or or he turns it around and goes, "Shut up, Picard." <laughs> I mean, that would just I would just. Like I would fall off my couch just screaming with laughter, and I probably wouldn't be able to find my cats for ten minutes after. That. So we we kind of like brushed the subject matter of women in Trek. I know you said you had like two or three women that you think epitomize what what what, it, what it's like or what it should be like to be women in Star Trek. You want to run it down for me? First of all, the most obvious answer is Michelle Nichols. Hands down, bar none, because when she came on that show, um, this was, this was way before my time, by the way, you know, like I said, my dad was watching these shows, but when she came on, she showed a nation of little little black girls and even little black boys you know this is we can we can be something greater than where we are right now i mean if it wasn't for nichelle we wouldn't have had um mae jemison you know as the first african-american female astronaut we wouldn't have had guinan in tng and going even further forward we would not have had michael burnham you know, she, she represents the future of what, what can be, you know, she was the one, like I said, she picked up that sledgehammer first and she slammed it into, into the, the, 
the great wall of society and said, I, this, this is what's happening. And I love that story also where Martin Luther King said, you cannot back down from this show. You know, Martin Luther King watched Star Trek. I mean, how cool is that, right? He, but he told her, you cannot walk away from this. You know, so many people are looking up to you. And in light of the election, you know, I know we're all tired of hearing it, but look at, I mean, that's what I've been seeing on Twitter, you know, with um, Kamala Harris, you know, all these little girls are now looking up and seeing what they can become. And that's what Michelle was to a generation. And I think at the core of Star Trek is always optimism and hope for what we as a as a race as humanity what we can become and i think michelle did that far far better than pretty much anyone else on on the bridge at the time i mean sulu yeah george takei you know he oh my you know that's oh my yeah he he was he he was breaking down barriers too you know i'm not discounting him all right so i, I just want to make that 100 clear but what michelle nichols did that she is star trek period i 100 agree agree with you there and having met michelle i've been in her, her orbit just like every Star Trek actor that I've met and either had a conversation with them or just been around them. She just has some otherworldly energy about her. And speaking as somebody of color, I could, I can look and grant you, I also did not grow up in sixties. I'm an eighties baby. Probably like, probably like you. <laughs> yep. And, and <laughs> I didn't, I never had those types of trials and tribulations, if you par pardon the pun. Um, I will accept it. <laughs> uh, going through life. Now, grant you, I grew up in a place where I was really the only Hispanic kid other than my cousin and my brother. There right. was one or two African American kids and maybe four or five Asians. So yep. I, I always felt different. Yep. So. Yeah, I grew I grew up in a similar situation, but it was from the of course the other side, you know, because when I went to school, it was it was in a small community that was, you know, the town I grew up in was founded in the sixties. I mean, it is very new compared to a lot of other places in America. But and it's full of transplants. A lot of people were not born there at that time. And I remember being in my first grade class and it was all white kids and maybe one black kid, one, li one little African-American girl. And I still remember being in the gifted program. And in that class, there was one African-American boy, one. And like, you know, like we say, we're from the 80s. We, we look at this. I mean, maybe more, maybe more so, so me, but just again, because I'm, I'm white and I'm just kind of like, yeah, everything's fine. I don't know what's going on. So, you know, totally that whole white privilege thing. But 
I never perceived any of that, of what came before, what my parents lived through. I remember we saw, I remember I asked my mom about Martin Luther King and she told me this beautiful story and all I remember it, all I re- I was like in first grade and all I remember her saying at the end was, and then some jerk shot him. And, you know, when, when you're a small child, you, you, you think, you know, well, it does. Yeah. I mean, I noticed that person has darker skin than I do, but what's, what's the difference? We're all still friends. Right. But then you start learning about what happened, you know, how it, how, how many lives literally and metaphorically that it took to get those kids into my classes how how hard their parents their grandparents fought i remember i was a teacher i know we're getting really off topic and i'll i'll stop talking after the story but just that's to- completely fine stevie <laughs> when i was um I, I i taught for the girl scouts for a very long time and i remember i was back in my old middle school and we were talking about um i forget the exact the exact thing but it was about you know we were talking about segregation somehow that had come up and this was a group largely mixed largely um person of color a lot lot more of them than than the little white girls but they could not fathom a world where there were separate water fountains they couldn't fathom that there were separate movie theaters and thank goodness i had um an African-American woman there as my, you know, supervising. And she came in and said, yes, this is 100% true. And I will never forget the looks on the girls' faces as they just, they looked at each other and they're just, I think, cause the more, for, the further we get from this, the more it doesn't seem like it happened. I mean, cause even like in the early nineties, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly perceive that this happened. But, you know, I'm older and I'm, I'm aware of this now. And, you know, my mother told me, my mother and father both told me, you know, of all those, you know, those signs growing up and they, they didn't understand, they thought it was odd too as kids. They're like, why is this happening? Yeah. Um, as a, like I said, as a person of color, my fam, I'm first generation born here in the United States. Wow. Um, my my dad came from the Dominican Republic. My mom came from England. So I'm my generation didn't have to deal didn't have to deal with everything. And my dad w- lived in the Bronx during all the burnings and all that other stuff. And I've had since we 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 were growing up. You know, we had nine eleven happen. Oh yeah. And my dad looks nothing like somebody who's Muslim. And he told me a story of how he got stopped by a cop, in quotes, who had lights on a regular, it was a regular car. No, he wasn't even like in uniform except having a badge and stopped him and said, you know, you're a terrorist. And this is, I know. We're still 
getting further and further from our point today. But, you know, it's shocking to me, like, as Star Trek fans, as people who live in America, Star Trek is what we all aspire to be. Some, something that's very inclusionary, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, gay, straight, non-binary, whatever. That's what we should be going towards. And in these last four years, we've gone the other way. So, yeah. so much so that now I've known for a very long time that there are racist people. I've known even in the people that I know, whether it be in the community at large, that there are racist people, that the person who is currently, as of this podcast, in the White House has stoked those fires and made it okay and acceptable to be racist or to be curt and not courteous and not think about simple, simple courtesies that, that, you know, everybody should enjoy. And it's very important that everybody does enjoy because we're all equal, no matter what status you are, what race you are, what gender, what your sexuality is. Absolutely. 100%. But now that we've beaten that that particular thing to a pulp, (laughs) who is your number two since we have our Lieutenant Uhura? Um, Definitely have to go with Captain Janeway. So Kate Mulgrew. First first female captain that led a show. Okay. Because I know we had female captains before her, but they were just kind of incidental. But now she, she was front and center. You know, she was the, she, again, she, she was the one who came through with the, with the wrecking ball and just piled that right through. And I, I, so when I grew up, I do remember when, when Kate was announced as the first female captain of Star Trek. And of course, like I said, I wasn't a Star Trek fan at the time. So I kind of just went, okay, cool, I guess. But when I was, at, when I was younger, I was a big fan of Sailor Moon, and um, not sure how you, familiar you or your listeners might be with Sailor Moon, but essentially that was um, a young, you know, fourteen-year-old girl who has to become a superhero to save the universe, and she's still very much a teen girl. She's still very much unsure of herself. She doesn't want to do this. She doesn't want to be in this position. And eventually she comes to accept who she is and what she has to be. And I've said before that in order for me to accept Janeway, I had to accept Sailor Moon first because Janeway didn't come out of the womb, you know, ready and raring to go. She might've, I need to read the new autobiography. I gotta, I gotta be honest. I gotta read the new biography of Captain Janeway. But I guess, I mean, seeing that a woman could be in charge and, you know, the guys on the crew, they respected her, you know? I mean, yeah, you had the, the Maquis and, and Starfleet kind of, you know, at each other's throats in the beginning, but over time, she made sure they became a family. She worked hard for that, you know, and she's way out in the middle of BFE in the galaxy, you know? And she, and I, I just admire her because 
she really did go where no one had gone before. She really was living the Trek philosophy, you know? And again, you know, now that I'm older and I'm, you know, I'm become, I'm a professional woman now. I mean, a, a woman who is a professional, I, I, I would say I'm an amateur woman at best. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but watching her, and, you know, when I come home from work and I've had a bad day and I sit down and I watch her and I just go, that is the woman who I want to be. That is the kind of leader who I want to be. And I love that they didn't, they didn't sugarcoat her. I mean, they made her a woman very much like the women I know, you know, kind of tomboyish, um, but still, you know, she still had that vulnerability, but she wasn't like, oh my gosh, I got to do my hair. Oh my gosh, I broke a nail, go on a warp speed. Oh my gosh, which thank God they didn't do. <laughs> thank God. But I see a lot of myself in her and I see a lot of my friends in her. And it's also the, the burden that Kate Mulgrew had on her shoulders to prove, you know, whether it was out, whether it was um, explicit or implicit, the idea that she had to prove herself that women could do this. Because I remember, I read her autobiography and I remember, you know, she, she does discuss this, this pressure on her. Not only that, but at the time she was a single mom with two little boys. And that's another thing that's, it's, it's not directly related to the Trek philosophy, but it's showing that despite, you know, I, I'm, I come from a single, my mom was a single mother and she busted her butt to make sure I, what we were taken care of. So I can absolutely respect um, Kate for, for that. I mean, she, she even says, you know, I, I sacrificed a lot in order to do this show um, my boys weren't always happy with it. They didn't like that. I was always out of the, you know, running off to do this, but they understood why it had to be done. And I think that even from that, like a single mom, you know, we don't, I mean, Janeway herself wasn't a single mom, but Kate Mulgrew was, and she was on the bridge of a starship navigating this perilous journey. So that to me, I mean, there are so many layers behind Janeway that that speak to me as as a woman as a again as a as a working woman you know what choices must we make what how we, and especially I know I see a lot of this on on Twitter with with the whole Tuvix thing I see a lot of argument back and forth but I I saw a couple days ago um Kate said um actually let me back up um Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she mentioned, you know, she's like, look, I've always liked Janeway and in, and in those situations at the top of the food chain, you know, the buck stops with you. You have to make those difficult decisions. You have to live with that. And Kate chimed in and said, yes, um, that's, that's very true. And I think someone threw in the Tuvix thing and she's like, look, I, I stick by my decision. And I know what she did was tough. I mean, that, that, that episode was crushing to watch. It was so hard to watch. And I feel for her. I don't think she was 
a murderer, quote unquote. She she really that that is not an easy answer. And that's what I'm talking about when you're when you're a captain. That's what I'm talking about when you're at the top of the food chain. Um, I look at my manager at the library now, and I see a lot. She's got to make a lot of tough decisions. She's got to go against, you know, regulations, you know, rules that she doesn't necessarily agree with. You know, I kind of, I kind of like to say my boss is kind of like Nick Fury, you know, where he goes, I, I realize the council has made a decision, but considering it's a dumbass decision, I've decided to ignore it. Uh, my, my boss kind of gives off that vibe, but my boss gives, you know, she's another one who has to fight hard for her crew. She has to, she has to keep standing up and going this, what you're planning, this isn't going to work. How, what you're thinking, that's not going to be feasible. And she still gets, she gets pushed down a lot for that. And I think that there, and that's so another, so basically what I'm saying after my long rambling aside is that Janeway showed that yes, women are still going to have to fight in order to get shit done. You know, even in the far future. Yeah, we'll probably, yeah, God, God willing, we'll be more, more open, you know, and, and not, you know, bat an eye if there's a woman sitting in the captain's chair or a, a non-binary person sitting in the captain's chair or a transgender person sitting in the captain's chair. It's not going to matter that, but right now it does. And that's sad. You know, that's why, again, going back to Kamala Harris, it's a big deal that we now have a woman vice president. It's a big deal. And in a way she's, she's, She's being Janeway herself because she's going into these situations where she's going to have to make a lot of tough calls and she's going to have to go through a lot of this. And it takes a certain kind of person to do that. And I'll, I'll say right now, I'm not that person. I was raised by that person. My mother, <laughs> my mother was a fighter. Her mother was a fighter. I am more like my father and be like, okay, let's kind of sit back and let's kind of work this out. Uh <laughs> So that's, that's, I think, because like, so, okay, to sum it up, I grew up with strong women, seeing Janeway be a strong woman, that's like, and, you know, I'm surrounded by strong women, God bless, I'm surrounded by them. And I like to think Janeway is just the next step towards that, that iteration. Well, Madam Captain... I, Janeway has, it is a special person in my life because I also, my family is mostly comprised of women. They are all strong, opinionated women. Yep, same here. (laughs) So seeing, I've always known the capacity for women to be strong-willed and make a decision and stick with it. So to me, that's nothing new. But for other people to see it meant a lot to me personally. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, I will compare Janeway to one captain. And that is Cisco, Because Cisco and Janeway are the only two captains that I know. Uh, not to say that Picard or Kirk or even Archer wouldn't have made the decisions that they made. Janeway had to do it twice in the same season with Tuvix 
and Death Wish. Mm-hmm. And then and then with Cisco, you have him in, in the pale moonlight deciding to defraud the Romulans to bring them into the war against the Dominion. Only two mm-hmm. cats that I can say that. And it takes a person, not just a woman, not just a man, a person with a lot of balls and conviction to say, that's that's the decision, and I'm making the call. Yep, agreed. And and um, and bringing up Cisco is another point. Um, I don't want to discount uh, Benjamin Cisco. Avery Brooks was phenomenal as Captain Cisco, and he broke another barrier, you know, too. Um, Again, we're talking about the women of Star Trek, but I but you brought up Cisco, and I just I just had to give him you know I had to give him a shout out because he's out he again is out in the middle of a of a different BFE, but he's also in BFE, and he has and he's got all these conflicting forces. He's got the Bajorans and Kardashians, you know they hated they they were at this war for a long time, and now he's in this station. He's like, you kids better get along, or else. I'm good or else that's going to pull it. I'm not, don't make me pull this runabout over, you know, that, that kind of attitude. And, you know, he's also, he's also got a, somebody did a really good thing that I saw on Tumblr a million years ago. They took DS nine and they set it to the intro of Brooklyn nine, nine. So DS nine, they made, um, they made Dr. Bashir as the Jake Peralta character. And Cisco was the Captain Holt character. They nailed that because Bashir is coming in like, oh, this is from Team Medicine. I can't wait to be here. This is going to be great. And, you know, Kira rightly rips him a new one. But over time, you still have Cisco as, as a new father figure to him because, let's face it, Bashir's dad was kind of a, was an a-hole you know, (laughs) he, he was a massive jerk, but then you like Jake Cisco's dad. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, Jake Peralta's dad was a major, major loser, but now they have these strong male African-American figures with these deep commanding voices taking charge. You know, I, I do think that Cisco is a little bit more human than Holt is, you know, just cause he, he laughs more. He's a little, I mean that that's what I mean. He he's a little more emotive. That's that's the word I'm looking for. He's more emotive. because uh, I adore Captain Holt. He's the he's my fa- he's one of my favorite characters on the entire show. But it's the same kind of dynamic. This young, dumbass, ready to impress, brilliant mind is put up against a strong leader who has to smack them down every now and then and go, no. That's not your job. It's it's so interesting. I'm going to go back to something that you actually said about Janeway for a second. Mm-hmm. 100% Kamala Harris. 100%. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I literally, for the first time in years, and I've, I've voted in four elections. That's how old I am. Uh, I was crying not not just for me as as a guy and being hispanic and a son of immigrants i i was also crying 
for the fact that I have a niece that's 10 years old who actually texted me for the fact that she, you know what she's not a sci-fi fan I can't I she's not into that type of stuff I can't show I can't show her Kira Maurice I can't show her Catherine Janeway to show her this is what we're working towards this is what you can be for her to text me yesterday and I should probably say that we're recording this the day after Biden Harris got elected on our president and vice president elect of the United States. Thank God. That she, she texted me and she said, this is what I want to do. I can, I can see where, where my place is in the world. Again, she's also a person of color. She is a little girl, a 10 year old. Oh, little I believe girl. it. I believe it. Um, I just tweeted this morning that um, when I was a substitute, it was my first job, I think, one of my first jobs after Obama had been elected. It was like the day after or something like that. And a lot of the kids in the school, again, this is the same town I grew up in where there was like one or two African-American kids. But now I was in a school where it was pretty much even. There were, you know, even amount of uh, children of color compared to white kids. And I remember walking through those halls and I remember seeing those kids just chanting, Obama, Obama. And they were just running and screaming and so happy. And I just, when I was calling roll, you know, they weren't going here, you know, or anything. They were going Obama. And my heart just, I let them do it. I let them do it. And I'm like, you guys, this is your moment. And now all these years later, I think of all those little girls who are going to go back to school tomorrow and are going, come on, come on. He's going to have like a whole bunch of little girls running through the hallways. You know, I, I, I almost want to get back into teaching just for one day just to see the, the little girls. I, I call them little. It was middle school. But I just I want to see those. I want to see the faces of those little girls and just listen and just see. Because, again, representation matters when you see yourself on the screen when you see someone who who looks like you and acts like you you know that it's kind of like when i see tilly on on discovery you know seeing uh, a woman who's not you know stick thin she's not she's got you know she's got a body like mine and that kind that i mean it's not the same as looking up and seeing Michelle Nichols on the screen. It's not the same as looking at George Takei or Avery Brooks or Alexander Siddig. It's not that, but to see someone, see Mary Wise for someone who looks like me. And she's, she's not treated like a bad person. She's not treated, you know, like you need to lose weight in Tilly if you're going to make the captain's program. It's, it's none of that crap. You know, she, Tilly is Tilly end of discussion and i love that for 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 a girl who grew up you know a little fat girl growing up who still has image issues to see tilly that that makes my little heart say so who is your number three miss stevie <laughs> my number three is probably jazia jazia dax played by the goddess terry farrell who i absolutely adore um and i guess this is coming more from you know again it's a it's a she's a woman 
but she doesn't outright. I mean, so when I was a kid, I was all, I was very much a tomboy. I guess now you can say that's kind of gender fluid. So like, while I, I love being a woman, it's just mentally upstairs. The jury's out on, on, you know, what that is, but seeing someone like, like Jadzia Dax, you know, like the trill species in general, and I'm going to, and I'll touch back on this in a second, but to see Jadzia, you know, I, she lived all these other lives. You know, she was a father. She was a mother. She was a guy. She was a woman. You know, she did all of this. And I guess from the angle of a trans person, um, that really, that, that does make a difference because like the, the scene that I see a lot on Twitter is where uh, she, she, the Klingons greet her as Curzon and she goes, well, I'm dead Zia now. And they said, Zia, my old friend, so nothing has changed. Everything is fine. You know, it's just, you know, the, a new trill host. You know, that's, that's all it is. But that's, that's kind of an issue, though, because in, and this is kind of my issue, uh, my slight one issue with the new episode of Discovery, because don't, do not get me wrong. I love Gray. I love Adira. I love their actors. But it's, I don't want it to come back to, oh, she's transgender because she's trill. I mean, they're transgender because they're trill. Forgive me. Um, that to me seems like a crutch. And this is speaking as someone who uses a crutch of her own. You know, it's like, oh, I, I can't say I'm I'm gender fluid. I say, oh, I'm I'm just a tomboy. You know, and it's like, oh, okay, that's acceptable. That's acceptable. It's not the truth. And. I think by having someone like Dax on DS9, you know, um, and eventually coming up with Esri, but largely with, I, I feel largely with Jedzia, it was kind of saying your gender didn't matter. Okay. What mattered is you could do the job. And she is, the person that I, I also want to be. So I'm kind of like a, a combination of Janeway and, and um, Jadzia are kind of who I, I, they're who I want to be, you know, a confident woman who's confident in every aspect of her being, who, who, you know, yeah, you make mistakes, but you learn from them. You're confident. You can make those tough decisions. And I, like I, I told Terry Farrell, I just, you know, you, she, she is, she is a big inspiration for me, you know, as, as a woman and as a, a gender fluid person, um, just to say, you know, just keep going, just keep going. And I, she even said that on Star Trek day, uh, Terry Farrell had this great interview where she was saying she felt like an outcast growing up. She was, she was, you know, in, in, you know, I wanted the misfits as it were. But when she came into Trek, she found where she belonged. And the more I'm in this fandom, the more I feel the same way. Well, old man. <laughs> um, I, I, to, to your last point, being a Star Trek fan all my life, being, I'll even tell this story for the umpteenth time, I, the second time, I've said it in the last two days. 
But I was born on Christmas, and I've been a Star Trek fan basically since the day I was born because my mom, apocryphal though the story may be, told me that I was in the hospital. She was watching Next Gen, went to commercial. She changed the channel. I cried, turned the channel back, stopped crying, Star Trek fan for life, regardless. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. My cats will come, one of my cats will come in if she hears um, Patrick Stewart talking or if she hears Alexander Siddig talking, she will come up, she will sit on the, and uh, she will curl up and just sit there. And as soon as, or Janeway, she, she will listen for Janeway. But after that, if they're not on, she's gone. So being in this fandom, being a, I won't say a big part, I'll say a medium sized part in this fandom. I have met a ton of the actors as have you. I've actually been a part of a group who used to make episodes i have made lifelong friends in this community who are all across the spectrum different races different genders different orientations no matter what i i always felt different and i said this earlier because i was not like everyone else around here partly because of my race and partly because I was the only geek, yep. or at least the only outed geek, because I, yep. I I was a geek loud and proud since I since I could talk, really, and uh, it's just amazing now that we're kind of in the what Robert Meyer Burnett says is the post geek singularity, where just about everybody is a geek. And mm -hmm. they, they literally let, as number one says in the short uh, Q&A, you, you let your freak flag fly. Hell yeah. So with Jadzia, she, she probably is my favorite character, favorite character from DS9, partly because of the beauty, beautiful Terry Farrell, but I like the way that she's written. I actually like the way yes. that Kira and her are written as best friends because they learn a lot from each other throughout yes. the show. And actually, I want to touch on Kira just because never before, well, you kind of get a touch of it with Picard after he's the cutest that he has PTSD. But throughout the show, Deep Space Nine, we're getting Kira right after the occupation and she's cold. By the end of Deep Space Nine, she's... I won't, I won't say that she's 100% a fully formed human, but she's rounding into shape of being yeah. a, a fully formed human where she can interact with people and it's not that, that Kurt, one, two, three. This is my opinion. Right. I, 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 I agree with that. I think it's, it's not so much, it, it's kind of like therapy in a sense. And it's, it's something that's ongoing because I'm, I'm in therapy. I'll be completely honest. And for a while I, I was out of it. Cause I'm like, nah, I think I'm good. But then this year happened and I'm like, uh, can I, I need my therapist back on speed dial. But I notice, especially as I, as I've grown since I've met my therapist, because I was very much like Kira, I was very much, you know, screw this, screw you. I'm not dealing with this. You know, everything sucks, whatever, you know, I would, you know, be set off instantaneously if somebody made a comment about my weight, you know, which, you know, it, it's, it's fair, you know, cause I grew up hearing about it from my evil stepfather. Um, who's no longer in the picture, thank God. 
but um but oh but just you know as time went on and I you know as Kira went through these changes as I went through these changes and it's you know it's these experiences that change your personality and the way my therapist puts it and it, it works for me because again I'm a geek too it's that your brain has been wired to respond different ways and it's going to take some time to rewire it, to get those connections to where you want them to be and to be stronger, you know? So, you know, say about five years ago, if somebody, okay, five years, I think it was about five years ago, somebody made a comment about my weight at work. It was supposed to be a compliment, but I didn't take it that way. And I was just destroyed for days. But now if someone made that same comment to me, I would just be like, okay, fine. That's more on you than it is on me. So we're not having this conversation. (laughs) So I think Kira goes through a very similar trajectory where, you know, she may not have a therapy. Um, she has, she has Gen Zia you know, and she has Odo, you know, so she has friends once she starts letting people in. And that's another thing that I had to learn was to let people in. And that's something I still struggle with, uh, believe it or not. Um, so yeah, definitely. I, I, that's, that's what I think. That's what I, I, I really enjoy about DS9 is that there's so much evolution across because my favorite character is Dr. Bashir and he was a complete asswipe at the beginning. Let's be completely honest. He was kind of, he was a tool. He was a tool, tool, tool. He was a tool to quote scrubs. Uh, <laughs> a woman after my own I love, heart. A woman I love him. Heart. I love, I love Alexander Siddig. I love Dr. Bashir, but oh my God, he was a tool, tool, tool. He was a tool. But over time, he got better. You know, he he was very problematic in the beginning. He was he was a creeper. You know, but at the end, he had matured. You know, and even from the get go, Kira made it certain that on no uncertain terms, I'm not going to let you be a jackass here. This this is this is my turf. You know, you're you're the foreigner. This is my turf. This is how it's going to be, and. I don't care how you, I don't care how you feel about that. That's the truth. Uh, This might actually surprise you. I also have PTSD. Okay. Um, I was in a fatal car accident that I didn't die in. And it took me a very long time to even be like where I am now. And I've always been this person. But for a short stretch of time, I was mad at me and everyone, kind of like here at the beginning. And I had to relearn how to love myself, love the people around me, and how to uh, reacclimate and reinteract with people. Because I may have been saying something that I may have meant one way, but it came out differently. Right. Right. And I I was talking a little bit about that in in my presentation yesterday. And, and this happens with everyone. It happens with people and with, you know, librarians too. You have an idea of what you, you're trying to communicate, but it's not, you're not expressing yourself very well. I do this all the time. Um, the episode I quoted was the DS9 babble when um, 
So everybody knew upstairs, you know, I'm going to say this thought, but when it came out, it was something like horse, comma, buckwheat, pig, you know, it's like, that doesn't make any sense. And you see the other person staring at you like, what are you talking about? And it's, and it makes complete sense to you in your mind, you know what you're saying, but what's coming out is not the right thing. Yeah. Um, 100%. And, uh, just to kind of wrap things up, is there any other character or bunch of characters you want to like quickly hit up as, as we're, le- we're ending this podcast up? I'm, I'm going to really show my, my gender fluid roots here and I'm going to break, I know we're talking about the women of Star Trek, but I'm going to go kind of backtrack a little because I'm, I want, I want to talk about Chekhov because I have, I've long identified with, with Chekhov because I have that when I'm at work, when I first started at my job, I, I was the youngest one there. I was, you know, I was like Chekhov in season two, you know, I just kind of plunked down there and I'm super eager to help everyone. And, oh, I'm just ready to go. I, you know, trying to sound like a big shot and mostly running away screaming from some of the really crazy patrons and we do have them you know I I remember my first tax season at the library somebody yelled at me because we didn't have the correct tax forms now if somebody and I almost burst into tears if somebody did that this time I'd be like dude whatever just whatever I don't have to deal with this but over time, I mean, I, I always saw myself as the, as the wisecracking smart ass. And I still, you know, at, at meetings, I will still be the one making dumbass comments, you know, just trying to be funny. And I think I've evolved more to being Scotty because if there's something technical going wrong, who they call, they call me, you know, they call, you know, if it's something minor in the library, they'll, they'll call me. But I still come back to being Chekhov. I still come back to being that that, that wide-eyed, wide-racker who is just trying to prove themselves, is just trying to, to make a difference. You know, when, like when I first started, I wanted to help every single person. I wanted to talk with everyone, you know, just, you know, just do as I can. But I, that, backfired so spectacularly because I got a lot of creepy people following me. (laughs) You know, they would run into me at the supermarket. They would, you know, if I was sitting at the desk and they would just decide that, oh, Stevie's here, let's have a conversation about absolutely nothing at all and ignore the line forming behind. And just like Chekhov had to learn his place in the grand scheme of things. And we saw him, you know, develop later in, in the, in the later movies. I mean, he, he still, you know, got the short end of the stick, you know, and, you know, God bless Walter Kading for doing the most amazing, amazing job with, with what he was given. Um, I think over time he was given more that, and, um, through not only the movies, but also the fan productions. I forget which one he was in. Uh, it was fair. It was, um, it was a fan production heat where he played himself as an, as an older person. To serve um, all my days. And that was new voyages. And that was what you worked on. Wasn't it? Yes, it is. Oh, that, that was beautiful. That, that was such a satisfying conclusion of sorts for his character. 
you, you guys, you guys nailed it. I mean, I remember watching that and just feeling like they, they got Chekhov. They got him. So a, a character I would like to touch on just before we go, and you can bash me all you want if you want to for me even bringing this up, but I feel like most women, again, keep your rocks. I don't want them. That most women are like Bolana Torres. And I say, <laughs> no, no. And, and I don't mean that in like the, like the extremely volatile sense. Although, you know, I said before lifting up the podcast curtain that, you know, I don't want to know what's going on in your head. I much less my own head. Yeah. I just, I just with her, Growing up with my cousins, all of, all all the women in my family, and them being biracial, Balana being half and half, and seeing that 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 spiciness come out of her, that a a lot a lot of I feel like a lot of women are like that. Also, we to, are <laughs> to to touch to touch on the other child of Janeway, Seven. Yes. Um, the one thing that I will be forever grateful for Janeway is the way not only did she mold Balana, she didn't change Balana. She she said like, "Hey, this is what I would do. This sh- that doesn't mean you need to be one hundred percent Starfleet." Because she even says to Balana in in a couple of instances that you know, this is the Starfleet way, but I like your Maquis idea. Yep. And with that's seven, that's the sign of a good leader. And then with seven, you had a completely blank slate. It's like having data. And you a had your very an- angry data. <laughs> a very angry data, but also more like a child where yeah. you're you're teaching her she's she's learning how to be a human through that fourth season. And even up until the end, but really the growing pains. And she's like having a teenage daughter where she's rebelling. And you're like, you know, putting your foot down and then she still rebels. And then you take away the keys to the car. And then did you speak with my mother before we had this podcast? Um, No, but good guess, Stevie. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's funny because I say that to my boyfriend that I, I see myself a lot in seven because I'm terrible at small talk. I'm, I don't understand a lot of these situations. I don't get this and I don't understand why I have to get this. I think it's all dumb, you know, so I just I, I see seven and how she interacts and I just laugh so hard because I see myself. You know, I, and, and, it's, and with Torres, I had a friend on Twitter who who said, that I reminded her of Torres, you know, someone who's very passionate, but is also very brilliant. Um, I have, I do have a short temper. I have a very short temper. Um, so yeah, I do see myself in Bellana too. So somewhere in between those two, you're going to find me. And that's just the continuum. Stevie, I had a blast talking to you. Likewise. So if people wanted to find you on the Twitter sphere. Where can they find you? I am at Hey Stevie Lee, all one word. 
So once again, I have to thank Stevie for an amazing conversation about the women of Star Trek. And don't you worry, at some point we will be speaking to Stevie again, whether it be Star Trek or maybe some other sci-fi franchise that I haven't talked to anybody about yet. Who knows? But before we get you guys out of here, first, make sure you go and check out Sci-Fi Distilled with my friends MB and Mike Rizzo. They talk about all sorts of sci-fi movies and television shows. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast, whether it be at Apple, Google, Spotify, or Anchor. You can also get in contact with us by looking up for our Facebook page at FezTalks-Podcast, Instagram and Twitter at FezTalks. And of course, if you want to be that person and write a long email, you can always contact us through Gmail at FezTalks at gmail.com. Until next time, my podcast listeners, Mr. Paris, set a course for home.